Well, welcome to Foothills Church and uh, a big, huge welcome to our new location in Bearden today. Today is the official launch. And so church family, can we just show by a, a round of applause, just tell them how much we are grateful for you guys. Amen. We are so excited about what the Lord is gonna do through your ministry and, and, and through the work that God is gonna do in the Bearden community as a result of your faithfulness. And so I am so very excited uh, for you all today. And you know, as we start this new uh, school year and so many new people coming to our church, starting a location, uh, opening up our new renovation, our kids space, we thought that it would be a great idea to spend the next several weeks really diving into our core values here at Foothills Church. Like what do we really care about and how do we really move forward as a church? What really unites us? And so uh, for the next several weeks, uh, we're gonna do a series called This Is Us. And the, the whole point is for us to share those core values. And you might say, why do we have to share core values? Why is that an important thing? And, and I would encourage you, and I would say that core values are really, really important in the life of a church. And when you think about what these values are, really just, it really shows and tells and explains what we really are committed to here. It helps, under, helps you understand, reminds us as a church where we're headed, glues us together, rallies us together, and gives us a clear direction for the future. Now, if you're a leader of a ministry, an organization, a business, I would encourage you to take some time to develop core values for your own business because I think it's just a great leadership principle that, that, that you would identify what are the things that you're committed to? Why do you do what you do? And, and share that with your team, share that with your organization because that's gonna uh, help create alignment uh, for the vision that you have to sell your product or to you know, serve a certain group of people in the community, whatever that might be. But when you think about core values, you don't just create them, uh, you really discover them. In other words, you can't fake core values. Core values are who you really are. It's, it's what you actually already care about. And so as a church, you know, we spent time just like looking at uh, what we cared about and we looked at scripture and, and uh, we prayed through it and based on the vision that God has given to us and what we see in the word of God and, and how he is moving in our hearts, we came to these six statements that we believe reflect what we're all about as a church. And so every week you hear us talk about them and every week we remind you. And, and as we do, it rallies us together. It glues us together. Like-minded people come around us and, and we're able to move in the direction that God has called us to go. Now, ultimately these core values point us back to the ultimate vision of the church, which is to develop mature disciples of Christ in relational environments. And so we don't just have an idea and think, oh man, this is a good value. No, we look at the word of God. The word of God shows us and teaches us and inspires us. And, and as a result, we land on the principles that God himself values. And so the first value that I wanna talk about today, it's not new to you if you've been here for a while, but it is this, Jesus is life. We truly believe that Jesus brings life to us to the fullest in this lifetime, but he also gives us eternal life after this world uh, and, and, and we come to our end. Now, when you think about where we're at as a, as a country, I, I know for, you, 
for me and for many of you, yesterday was a sad day because we uh, really remembered this 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And so we were reminded of all these scenes and we're reminded about what happened. And now that it's been 20 years, uh, a lot of stories have been added to the bigger narrative, which is, is quite just humbling when you, when you remember it, when you think about it, when you learn about everything that happened on that terrible, terrible day. And, and as, as, as I'm sure you went through, I, I just was just reminded of that incredible sadness and uh, all the lives that were lost. And, and I was also uh, encouraged when I you know, saw the, the country really rally together like never before and unite together. And so um, I, I, I took away from yesterday watching the documentaries and, and if you haven't, I encourage you to do that, to be reminded. But what I took away from watching everything yesterday was, was like this sobering reality that we never know what's gonna happen in the future. For me, when I think back 20 years ago, it was the first time in my life where I kind of realized that, you know, um, America isn't invincible. For the first time, I I realized that, whoa, we we are in a war, and we didn't even know we were in a war. And it sobered me, it humbled me, it reminded me that any time, at any time in our life, devastation can happen, tragedy, can strike. And so it's of utmost importance that, that we as a church, that we as a people understand and, and, and are comfortable and reminded and know what the future looks like for us after we die. It's important for us when we think about these words, Jesus is life, that those in our life, our family, our friends, people that we work with, understand where we're at in our faith and And we're not scared, we're not intimidated, we're not stingy or selfish with the truth of the word of God that we know, but we are in fact freely sharing that story. Because if we believe it, then it should change our lives. If we believe it, then we should be sharing it with those. We never know what's gonna happen in the future. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter four. If you've got an app, you can go to the app and, and uh, follow along with us today. But in John chapter four, Jesus encounters what, what we know as the Samaritan woman. And in this story, Jesus is offering her, sharing with her what it looks like to have life in him, what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And so we're gonna start in verse three and begin to see how Jesus approaches this situation and, and what we can learn from it today. Let's start in verse three. It says, he, Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, he was tired, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, which is noon, And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Now, lots of things going on here. So first of all, the disciples had gone on into the town to get some food and Jesus was tired and so he's sitting by the well and, 
And this woman who is from Samaria, she's a Samaritan, comes and, and he engages her in a conversation and he, he and asks her for a favor, essentially. Can I have a drink of water? And her response was, whoa, 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 why are you talking to me? I'm a woman, you're a Jew and you're talking to me. And secondly, you're in fact talking to a Samaritan. Now, why in the world was, was this um, a, a problem? Why didn't Jews actually talk to Samaritans? And I think it really boils down to this. Samaritans must have been Alabama fans. <laughs> it was just it. It was just it. I, I believe it. <laughs> Obviously, I am joking. And people in the Bearden location, you're going to have to laugh louder next time. We can hear you. And so, yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think that joke never gets old. But anyway, so... The reality though, we love you Alabama fans, by the way. We love all of you, just a joke. Um, the, the reality though is this is a tension and a, a, a racial division that had been there for over 700 years when Jesus came on the scene. So a little uh, background really quickly. 722 BC, before Christ, the Assyrians go into Jerusalem and they conquer Jerusalem, they conquer Israel, and then they take all of the Jews, except for some, back uh, to Assyria as slaves. And so they left some Jews there and then a lot of the Assyrians moved into Israel. And so now you have a few, you know, kind of a remnant of Jews that were left and then you have all these new Assyrians coming in. And what happens was the Assyrians' culture, the gods that they worshiped, all of that started to influence the Jews that had been left. And so they started to marry, they started to have kids. And then all of a sudden they're all worshiping these false idols and false gods. Well, 70 years later, uh, they allow the Israelites, the Jewish people, to go back into Israel, led by, uh, remember Nehemiah, he rebuilt the wall there, and so that was the first step. And, and then Ezra comes on the uh, scene, and he wants to rebuild the temple. And so when he begins to do that, a lot of these Jews, obviously, they, they'd come back to Israel, but they still had this group of people that had been left there, that had intermarried, worshiping idols. They wanted to help Ezra build the temple. And Ezra said, no. And he treated them as enemies because they were worshiping false gods. They, they were you know, uh, so entrenched in this Assyrian culture that they had left the, the God of their forefathers. And so they said, fine, if you're not gonna let us help you, we're gonna go build our own temple. And so they go up on another mountain. Remember, Jerusalem is on top of a mountain. And so they go on top of another mountain, Mount Gerizim, and they built their own temple. And that began the division. And that division grew and grew and grew and the hatred grew and the, the racial divided uh, grew to, to where now Jewish people did not associate with Samaritans. In fact, if you were going from Judea to Galilee, if you were a Jew, you would not take the shortest, straightest path because that path would lead you to through Samaria. And so most Jews at that time would go around Samaria because they hated him so much. And it would take them at least two, maybe three extra days just to get to Galilee because they didn't want to associate with Samaritans. And just imagine that division and hatred. And now here's Jesus on the scene. And so he's talking to a woman. Jewish men didn't, didn't talk to women at that time, especially Jewish women. And so he's crossing all of these boundaries. He's crossing all of these you know, issues, he's crossing religious boundaries because she's a sinner in the eyes of the Jewish people. He's, he's crossing racial boundaries because Samaritans are a different race than Jewish people. You know, he's, he's crossing social barriers because she's a woman. 
And I think it's a great insight here in verse four. Don't miss it, look at it again. The Bible said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's almost like he had a passion to go through Samaria. He had to go there, why? Because he wanted to meet this woman. He wanted to encounter this opportunity to share the truth of the scripture. And the the end of the story is gonna tell us that many Samaritans come to faith as a result of this encounter. You see, Jesus wants to give you life today. The whole reason for why he goes to Samaria was to give this woman life. And I believe that Jesus wants to give you life today. He wants to give you eternal life, but he also wants to give you life to the fullest, right? Every single person in the room struggles with how to make sense of the world and life. And and if you believe that there is a God, if he exists, then then how do you relate to him? And how how do you please him? Well, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus wants to give us life. He wants to give us a relationship with him and with our creator. And so this story invites us into this narrative and teaches us that Jesus goes out of his way to have this conversation with this woman. And I would encourage you and I would tell you today that Jesus has gone out of his way to go to the cross for you so that you could experience life. The watering wells of our day and time are probably coffee shops and the restaurants that we frequent, you know, occasionally. And, and I just imagine that if you were at a coffee shop and you're standing in line for your, you know, your, your venti pumpkin spice latte, I know you're pumpkin spice fans out there. And so if you're waiting in line and Jesus is ordering his cup of coffee as well, and, and uh, I, I truly believe that, that he wouldn't just be staring at his phone ignoring you. I truly believe that he would engage you in a conversation. I don't know what he would say, but based on the biblical evidence, I'm quite certain that he wouldn't yell at you and condemn you because your marriage didn't work the way that you wanted it to work. I don't think that he would yell at you for being a bad parent. I think he'd ask you some questions. I think he'd talk to you. Why? Because Jesus is more concerned about a relationship than his own to-do list. And I think there's a huge principle here that you and I as believers need to understand. How often do we stand in line and stare at our phone? How often do we, do we get distracted with the daily task of today and we forget about the people that are all around us? We for, forget about the divine encounters and the questions and the conversations that God wants us to have. You know, when you think about all the different uh, barriers that Jesus is breaking through here, let's be reminded of this. She had a way different worldview than Jesus had. She was considered a sinner. She thought differently than him. I guarantee she would have, if she had the privilege of doing this, she didn't, but if she had the privilege of voting for somebody to run for office, it would have been different than the person Jesus voted for. And yet Jesus crosses that divide and he has a face-to-face conversation with this woman. Wouldn't that be great in our world today to have a cordial face-to-face encounter where you're actually talking about things that matter and not just tweeting and not just arguing? You know, I think it's important for us as a church to realize that not only does God love you and that God cares for you and that God wants to give you life today, but he also wants to give your family life.
He also wants to give the guy that you work with everyday life. He also wants to give those estranged relationships in your life. Uh, He wants to give that person life as well. And so it's helpful for us to remember this. It's helpful for us to understand this, that that we want to pursue and and, and live out a life that would in fact not, not only say we believe in Jesus, but model it in a way that we would actually have conversations about him. And what does he do? He just asked her a question. He asked her for a favor. And it led to a spiritual conversation. So I would encourage you, ask people questions. Engage people in conversations. Ask them about spiritual things. Ask them how they're doing, yes. And, and, and talk about the weather and the sports, okay. But move that into questions that, that go below the surface of where we are normally comfortable with. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in an afterlife? How, do you, how, does, how does a person go to heaven? How does a person experience uh, life in Jesus? Who is Jesus? And, and, and that leads to spiritual conversations that the Lord, the Holy Spirit uses in people's lives because as you ask people questions and, they, and they're answering and they're thinking about this logically and they're trying to formulate because most people don't think about it, And now you're asking these questions and in these gaps and holes in their heart where they don't know how to respond. You know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit begins to speak. He begins to fill in those gaps. See, I'm just a messenger. I don't save anybody. You don't save anybody. The Holy Spirit does the convicting and the transforming of people's lives. But the great news is God wants to use you to lead to these conversations. He wants to use you to break down these barriers. And so... Jesus asked her for a favor, which led to a conversation, which then led to a spiritual discussion. So let's continue in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. You don't even have a bucket or a rope and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. (laughs) Traditionally, At this time, women would go in groups to the water well in the morning, get their daily uh, amount of water that they need so that they could use it throughout the day. Now, what's interesting about the situation is this woman is alone. And we know this to be true even in the year 2021. Women don't travel alone. They travel in groups, right? We don't know why, but when they go to the bathroom, they go in groups. When they go shopping, They go in groups. When they go out to eat, again, with the groups. 
men, we don't know why, we don't know what they're saying or doing in those groups. All we care about is that we are not in that group with them. (laughs) If you ever see a man alone with a group of women, most likely he's dating a woman in the group and all he's thinking about is, can I marry this woman so that I do not have to be in this group? (laughs) I'm gonna go home, I wanna be alone. Um, And so this woman is alone. And so she's at the well, and most likely, because it's noon, right? She didn't come in the morning. She didn't come in the group. So she's probably ashamed. She's probably an outcast. So she comes at this time because she doesn't want to be condemned. She doesn't want to get those beady eyes of condemnation that sometimes people can give others, right? She wanted to avoid that. And here Jesus is, and he engages her in this conversation. And I don't think uh, we should miss this. He doesn't start with her sins. He starts with a conversation. It starts with a favor. It starts with a discussion, right? So he doesn't start with sin, but let's not miss this either. He doesn't ignore her sin. You see, the reality is God cannot ignore our sin. You cannot ignore your own sin. Jesus said, look, if you knew the gift of God, in other words, if you knew me, Jesus, I am the gift of God sent to die on the cross for your sin. And that through me, you put your faith and trust in me, you will in fact have life everlasting. You will experience life to the fullest in this world. He says, if you knew that, then I would give you this life. I would freely give it to you. In other words, Jesus wants to give us this life. And, and, and when he says that if you drink this water, you will never thirst again, he is essentially saying that he is the source of that life. If you knew the gift, me, Jesus. If you knew that I had living water, water that if you drink, it, it would well up into you, into eternal life, you would have life. He says, I'm the source of life. What a powerful encounter. I'm the source, which means he's gonna satisfy your soul. He's saying if you drink from him, in other words, if you have faith in him, he's gonna, he's gonna give you life. Now we all have two kinds of thirsts. We have a physical thirst and we have a spiritual thirst. Now we all know how to remedy the, the, the physical thirst. You know, grab a Gatorade, get you a bottle of water, boom, you are good. We know how to do that. But not everyone knows how to fill their spiritual thirst. See, every single one of us watching today, every single one of us listening today has a spiritual thirst. You have a spiritual thirst to find purpose and meaning in life. You have a spiritual thirst to find significance in this world, to find significance in your work, to find significance in your your life. Like at the end of your life, you want your life to matter. That's a spiritual hunger and thirst that each of us have. We have a spiritual thirst to find satisfaction and fulfillment in life. We have a spiritual thirst to overcome and be delivered from fear and anxiety and and to be delivered from loneliness because of the pressures of this world. So many of us choose to drink from the well of the world. We choose to dip our cup and quench our spiritual thirst with the things that the world offers to us. And what does the world say will quench your thirst? The world says success and money and sex and fame and popularity and 
And, and all of these things will, will, will give you that sense of significance and meaning and purpose. But every single one of us, including me, we've tried to dip our cup in the well of the world. And it felt good for a minute. It felt like it was working, but we quickly realized that it did not satisfy. We needed more, we needed something else, we needed to go after it again, and so we try and we try and we try and we run and we gather and we gather and we get and we get and we try to elevate our platforms and, and the result of that is we're extremely tired, our marriage suffers, our kids don't know us, and at the end of the day, it leaves us extremely thirsty for more. Why? The well of the world is poisoned. If you ever hike in the Smokies, which I love to do and I don't do enough of, I wish I could, I wish I would do it more, but when you're, when you're hiking, especially on a hot day, you know, and you're going by those streams and those rivers, they just look so beautiful and refreshing and it's cold and it looks clean, right? But you know that you can't, you can't just take your cup and, and dip it in one of those streams and take a drink, right? I mean, if you did that, you're taking a huge risk because there's a microscopic parasite called Giardia that is found in those streams. And uh, in most streams uh, around the world, this is present. And so essentially, if you were to drink and ingest one of those parasites, it is not gonna go well for you. It's gonna be days of suffering and throwing up and a lot of other gross stuff I won't talk about. And uh, it's gonna last for days, maybe weeks, and you might, you're gonna be dehydrated. You might have to go to the hospital. It's even killed people before if they don't get it treated. And so you're taking a huge risk there. And so we've gotta understand that in similar ways here, in very similar ways, each of us take a risk when we dip our cup into the well of the world. Because in those wells, we see that, that poison is there, that danger is there. And you might say, well, I see other people you know, drinking from the well. I see other people you know, having fun. And sure, you, you, you don't might see that, you know, but what they don't show on Instagram is the, the, the day or two after when they're throwing their guts up and feel like they're about to die. You don't see that. You only see what they portray to you, so don't let the enemy deceive you that other people that are doing this are having a good time and they're, they're, they're enjoying their life. Because without Jesus, I promise you, they are not. Jesus is saying, drink from the water that I give. When you do, you will never thirst again. In other words, I will satisfy you. I will satisfy your need for purpose and meaning and significance. It is not about your salary. It is not about what you have. It is not about what you accomplish. It is about the relationship that Jesus is desiring in and through your life. Instead of finding answers in the well of the world, he is calling us to find answers and hope and power and strength in the living water that he provides. Well, this woman was extremely excited about this. And so she said, give me some of this water because I don't wanna come here anymore. I don't want the physical challenge of walking here and doing this every day. I'd rather you give me this. And she didn't understand what Jesus was talking about yet. And so Jesus transitions the conversation. And he says, okay, yeah, go grab your husband and come back. And she says, <clears throat> see well, what had happened there, Jesus was, uh, ah, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah. You've had five, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband, right? And it's at this moment that 
I'm, I'm sure the awkwardness and the tension developed. You ever stepped into an awkward conversation and some of you are like, oh, this is tense and awkward, and what do we wanna do? Well, we wanna run. Well, she didn't. She stayed with it, and she asked Jesus a question. She asked Jesus a question about worship, which is very interesting. And so the point that I want us to, to see today, number three, is that Jesus gives life to those who turn from their sin. So he doesn't start with their sin, but Jesus doesn't ignore the sin that she's experiencing in her life. She doesn't ignore it. So I take that to mean that every single one of us need to deal with our own sin. We've gotta deal with that sin. We've gotta be confronted with that sin. We need to feel conviction of that sin. And we need to agree with God in this reality that sin breaks relationship. Sin is what breaks our relationship with our creator. It ruins all of our relationships in life. And as a result of that broken relationship, we have no hope and heaven is not our home. Jesus can't ignore your sin. And by the way, he knows every sin that you've committed, that I've committed. He knows it all. And yet he still chose to die for us. He still chose to offer us life. And anyone who wants to give their life to Jesus must turn from their sin. They've got to recognize that sin in their life. This woman was confronted with this sin. And so what does she do next? You might think she might run. You might think, you know, she wants to, you know, just yell at Jesus. She wants to get upset at Jesus, but she doesn't do that. She asked him a question. Verse 19, the woman said to, uh, to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, that is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. <laughs> Can you imagine the weight of that moment when Jesus says this to her and this overwhelming just presence of, oh my goodness, just comes over her. Let me go back to point number three. Don't miss it. Jesus gives life to those who turn from sin. He confronts her with the sin in her life. Five husbands, we don't know what happened. Maybe, maybe they all died or maybe she got five divorces. We don't know, but she's living with a guy now and Jesus is addressing that. And her response is that she wants to talk about worship. Now, why? Here's what I think. I think that she talks about worship because she wants to make things right with God. She, she hears that, okay, I'm confronted with my sin. I, okay, I messed up. I'm with you. Now what do I do? She wants to know the right way to worship God. She wants to know the right way to deal with this sin. And I want you to hear this today. Some of you are not dealing with your sin the way that God's word tells you to deal with it. You're, you're just giving excuses for it. You're ignoring it. You're downplaying it. 
But if you wanna give your life to Jesus, if you truly wanna experience life to the fullest, if you want eternal life, then faith in Jesus requires you to believe him and worship him in the right way. So Jesus starts to talk about worship. She says, you say this mountain, but my father said this mountain and Jesus is saying, look, 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 look. Here's what you gotta realize. The times have changed. It doesn't matter where you worship now because I'm here. When Jesus saves you, the Holy Spirit comes into your spirit and now the Bible calls your body a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is not a temple. This is not sacred, right? Walls, building, renovations, no matter if you're in a school or wherever you're at to worship Jesus, that does not matter because the Spirit lives within us. But what does matter, the place doesn't matter, but what does matter is the object of your worship. And Jesus says, if you wanna worship in the right way, then you're gonna worship and in the accurate way, in truth. True worship is done in spirit and in truth. So truth means accurate. Truth means that we worship God the way he tells us to worship him. He tells us to worship him through his son Jesus by putting our faith in Jesus, believing in Jesus. We can't worship God, we can't connect to God unless we are worshiping him through the son of God. And so all throughout the scripture, we are told and we are invited to serve God, sing to God, give resources to God, join and gather together with local churches to uh, 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 gather together to accomplish the mission of God, right? All of that is our spiritual act of worship. It's not just singing and raising our hands, it's all of this. It encompasses every aspect of our life. And so you do this in truth. See, we live in a world where people just like to create, well, I think God does this and I think God should do this. And I really believe God is, does this and honors this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I, I really don't care what you think. I wanna know what I believe and, and see written in the word of God. And this is what we believe is the sacred scripture that teaches us what it actually looks like to connect to our heavenly father. And so our worship has to be accurate. But then secondly, he says true worship is genuine. It's done in spirit. So that means it's genuine. It's not just words that we're saying. We don't just show up on Sunday to say, I'm here, you're welcome, God. No, like we join together. This is part of our worship and we do it with a genuine spirit-filled attitude and mind. The spirit lives within me. He's, he's with me. I can hear and, and, and sense him in different parts of the day, as I pray, as I read the Bible, he gives me ideas, he, he, he gives me this inkling. He's not speaking to me verbally or out, out loud audibly, no. But it's just this sense and presence, talk to this person, call this person, text this person, preach this message, share this word. He does the same thing to you. Don't let the wells of the world drown out the Spirit of God speaking to you. See, this is important for everyone here today, everyone listening today. If you want to experience the life that Jesus offers to you, you've gotta confront your sin. You've gotta admit it. You've gotta understand that your sin is robbing you of joy. It's stealing your happiness. And Jesus is the only way to receive forgiveness and have a relationship that is reconciled to God. It's the only way. 
And so you can confess your sin today, whether you are sitting here in Maryville or you are sitting in Knoxville, or if you're sitting in your own living room today, Jesus will hear your prayer. He will save you today if you simply ask him for his forgiveness. If you ask him to give you life today, he will. In fact, the very moment you put your faith in Jesus, he will save you. And so I want you to hear me, like he's the one that your soul is longing for today. He's the one that your soul is thirsting for today. He's the one that's gonna fill you and satisfy you. He's the one that you're looking for today. He's the one that your soul needs right here in this moment. Will you receive him? Let me ask everyone to bow their heads. Everyone in Knoxville, if you will bow your heads. And in the quietness of this moment, no one will get up and walk around. I wonder if you're here today and your desire is to give your life to Jesus. And you would say, I have never done that, but today I sense the Spirit of God calling me to worship Him correctly. I've been doing it my way. I've been running in my own uh, speed, in my own direction. But right here, right now, I wanna give my life to Jesus. If that is you, just simply pray in your seat right now. Just simply say, Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin. And I'm asking you to forgive me of that sin and come into my life right here, right now. I give you my life, Jesus. I surrender my life to you. I wonder in the quietness of this space and in the space in Knoxville with every head bowed, how many of you in Maryville, how many of you in Knoxville right now would be so bold as to say, I just prayed that prayer and I just wanna show you, Trent, and I wanna show God right here, right now that I, yes, prayed that prayer. If that was you, would you be so bold as to just lift up your hand all over this room this morning, all over the room in Knoxville, just lift it up high. Our section leaders are there looking all over the room. I see a couple in this room. Pastor Greg is looking in the room and the section leaders in Knoxville. How many of you would say, I just prayed that prayer? I see you, young man. I see you, sir. I see you, young lady. Praise God, praise God. Here's what I wanna invite you to do today before you leave. You see our section leaders all across the room in Knoxville and here in Maryville. Would you go tell them before you leave today that you prayed to receive Christ? They wanna encourage you. They've got some free gifts that they like to give to you. And they wanna be here for you because we can't do this alone. Part of the life-giving nature of the Spirit of God is that we need others around us. And so the good news is you're in a great church. This is a great place to be. God is giving us life and God is growing us and developing us into mature disciples of Christ. And so I wanna praise God in this room for the hands we saw here today. And there in Knoxville, I want you to praise God for the hands that were raised there. Let's all together give God a round of applause for what he is doing in the lives of the people around us. Praise God. 
Now let me ask God's blessing upon the remainder of our time together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us life. We thank you for changing some lives today. Lord, for the people in the first service and the people in this service, Lord, we are so grateful and thankful that you are changing us. And so God, as the people of God, may we leave today with a sense of anticipation and a sense of urgency that we would engage our friends and neighbors, our coworkers, those that we hang out with every single week, would we engage them in meaningful conversations. Conversations that would lead to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We humble ourselves before you, recognizing that it is not us that change anybody, but you have graced us with the opportunity to share your truth that Jesus is life with those around us. So would you use us to bring those who are lost to faith in Jesus? And we will praise you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.